0: Three center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports.
1: Another episode of Five on Three, a few just about 12 hours after the Montreal Canadiens extend the Stanley Cup final to a game five in Tampa, which the Tampa Mayor says they wanted. We'll talk about that in a lot more. Chris Hennessy here with just Tyler Mooney today. As we break down last night's overtime win for Josh Anderson and the Montreal Canadiens, and we're going to talk about Columbus in a little bit, uh, and their new head coach, and the Max Domi situation didn't work out so well there. And that trade has certainly worked out well for Montreal. He scores the overtime goal last night, so they move on. And this is really the second time this series where Montreal has looked like the better team. They looked like the better team in game two. And if not for an incredible goal by Blake Coleman at the end of the second period, that game is probably probably goes Montreal's way. Uh, But, Tyler, they they're able to extend and maybe the Tampa mayor touched the money a little bit and we're going to see quite the comeback here. That'd be exciting.
0: Yes, it did look like last night. Montreal, they were it seemed like they were just playing, you know, without it's like they they were playing with house money I guess you could say you know it seemed for the first time the series yeah in game two they looked better but obviously the incredible goal by Coleman and then Tampa kind of controlled that third period but they kind of just seemed like they were playing with so much more energy and so much more just like they were like listen we're down 3-0 you know the optics of that it's gonna be really tough to come back let's just go out and play our game and they did and for the first time in this series, Carey Price really like played like Carey Price, the Carey Price that we saw throughout the entire playoffs coming into the Stanley Cup final. Cause he, if you want to point, if, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why the Canadians are down three, one now, but if you wanted to point at one big one, it was the play of Carey Price, especially in game three, he was, he was not nearly at the level that he needs to be. So he came out, he, he, he did what needed to be done last night. The Canadians, did what needed to be done. And they're taking it one game at a time. They were talking about that very extensively uh, during the NBC broadcast. You can't, you know, when you're down three Oh, you're not going to win four games in one game. You got to win one game at a time. You got to win one period of time. And that's what the Canadians did. I, I mean, when they, when uh, Shea Weber took that four minute penalty at the end oh. there, I, I thought that was curtains. I was watching it with my dad and we were like, yeah, this, this is probably not going to end well especially the way that Tampa power play has been, but they killed that off and credit to Josh Anderson. He had a great game last night when they needed him the most. And yeah, just keep it going one game at a time. If you're Montreal,
1: they had three minutes of power play time to start overtime and it was brutal. Like this is the, like this is also the best penalty kill of the playoff was the best power play of the playoff. And they, were brutal. I mean, they couldn't get it set up. They had one good flurry where Stamkos had that low angle shot and then it bounced out in front and point was right in front and he knocked it with his backhand. But even that wasn't a great chance and they were just brutal. And yeah, Montreal locked it down in the power play. Josh Anderson with a heck of a play from coast to coast there makes that play behind the net and finds the rebound and sends it to game five. And, I mentioned the Tampa mayor. If, if you missed it, the mayor of Tampa Bay, she was had a press conference for the 4th of July, or maybe it was about the hurricane. I don't really know what it was about originally, but um, somebody asked her about Tampa and the lightning. And she said, yeah, well, you know, it'd be great. If <laughs> basically she was like, let's have them lose tonight. And so they can come back here and win the cup on home ice. It's like, oh, I don't know if I would go there. Uh, Hockey is a very superstitious yes. sport. Maybe that's just me. Um, being in this sport for my entire life, um, you don't want to jinx it, and it feels like she might have. So that would be very, very interesting if Tampa wins Game Five yes. tomorrow. Excuse me, if Montreal wins Game Five tomorrow, then it would be full blown. The jinx is on if
0: Montreal is able to win Game Five. That would be, <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, I mean, on one hand, I do understand where she's coming from, and oh, like. Of course. And, like, I'm sure, you know, obviously the Tampa players wanted to win the cup last night, but, you know, none of their family was there. It would have been a very odd celebration. So I'm sure they're not entirely disappointed that they have still three more chances to win the cup, two at home. But that's something I feel like you just don't say out loud.
1: We'll see how that goes because it feels like she is uh, poking the bear of a very superstitious sport. And uh, that certainly came to fruition yesterday on Twitter after she said that. Um, I don't have any re- doubt that Tampa Bay is going to win the series. I don't have any reason to believe that they're not. Um, yeah, I think that Montreal is a very good team that got to this point and they deserve to win a game and that's a great moment for their fans that nobody in that building who paid five digits to go uh, is ever going to forget and um, good for them, but I-, I think that this thing is, is all but over uh, at this point.
0: Yeah, I think Tampa probably takes it the next game they just i mean last night was the first night where you know tampa star players weren't really at the best but we saw the tampa depth lines the fourth and third lines really coming out and producing goals and getting that game to overtime so i think yeah just maybe a rare off game for tampa's top guys and yeah montreal it would have been disappointing to see them get swept and it's nice that they got that special overtime win in front of their fans but i have no doubt in my mind. I feel like Tampa is just going to come out there and win game five. And one thing I will say is Montreal started game four very slowly. I think shots were like 11 to one in the first 10 minutes. So I think Tampa's going to come out with a lot of juice in game five. All right. You know, we missed our first chance to win it. We don't want to go back to Montreal for a game six. Let's get it done tonight. So I think they're going to come out with a lot of juice. And if Montreal is not ready for that and they have another sluggish start, I could see Tampa putting in. Multiple goals early and kind of, make, I don't want to say route, making the game a route, but I could see 10 minutes in, it's maybe two, even three nothing Tampa.
1: That's kind of what happened in game three, too. It was two nothing before you could blink your eyes. And I was like, oh, come on with this again. I mean, I, I don't know. And you can tell me because you're not in this position. I don't know if it's me like lamenting the fact that the Islanders should be having a parade next week. Um, but this has been the most boring Stanley Cup final I can
0: remember yeah i mean a part of it too we'd be lying if you said part of it is not that one stadium has 3500 people in it like Does it, just,
1: though?
0: especially i feel like i mean last night there were points in that game where i was like wow it is quiet
1: oh yeah granted sure. i
0: think part of that might have been your team's down three nothing in the thing like a final yeah, and it's, they, it's in overtime it's a little tense there but yeah i mean just the way the Montreal plays too. I think Tampa is just a much better team, like skill wise, on all facets of the game. And for Montreal to win, they need to kind of do what they did last night, which is make it like a slower game, a little more low-scoring game. Which it's not always the nicest to watch in terms of entertainment value.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very aware that that's not the nicest to watch over the last (laughs) three years. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't know. (laughs) <laughs> it can't be one, one goal for the Stanley Cup final um, Yeah, this is an interesting You know, I think I speak for a lot of Islander fans Because I share fandom with a lot of Islander. I'm not a Mets fan, I'm a Yankee fan But share fandom This is an interesting position for me to be in Where, you know, as we met, we talked about it last time You know, the Jets were in the AFC Championship game But to to really feel like, wow Two years in a row, if we had won that It feels like we would have coasted to a ring Um especially this year is a really interesting feeling. And I see people on Twitter like, Oh, well, Islanders lightning was clear with the cup final. I was like, I don't know. Like I wouldn't, I would not think I would have said that about Islanders lightning last year that Dallas was just like a, a, a cakewalk and Montreal provides a different kind of game than, than the lightning do. And who knows if the Islanders would have matched up well with that because they didn't play all, all regular season. So Although I did just say, you know, like, I, I do think that they would have won. I'm not totally in love with people saying like, Oh, well, the Islanders lost the cup final. I'm like, no, they didn't. They lost the semifinal and like until they play a game with a, with the cup patch on their, on their Jersey, they, they lost in that, that semifinal. That's just interesting to me because it's um, I think it's a lot of people in a very new situation where this team is one goal away uh, from going to Stanley cup final, but um, that's that. And, Probably the next time we speak next week, this thing will be over, long over, and Tampa will be lifting their second consecutive cup or the fourth time um, since the end of the Oilers dynasty. That it'll be four straight cups and um, or two straight cups, excuse me. And Pat Maroon is looking to become the first. I thought that was interesting. The first player since the Islanders dynasty guys to win three straight Stanley Cups. He was on the 2019 Blues, and now he's been on the Lightning the last two years. So he's going. He's looking to become the first guy since 1983 to uh, to win three straight Stanley Cups, which is which is interesting. So,
0: and he's done it with multiple teams. If yeah, he, if they get it done, which there is someone who's done that. I forget who it was, but it was in like I think it was somebody with like the Canadians and Leafs back in the original six days. So yeah. it definitely has not been done in like the modern salary cap era.
1: Yeah, very interesting. And it's like, um, oh, who's that guy? Oh, LeGarrette Blunt, that running back who was in the Super <laughs> like 87 consecutive years. Um, v- very LeGarrette Blunt or Kyle Long ish. Kyle Long, he was on the Eagles, wasn't
0: he? Uh, Chris Long was Chris on Long. the Eagles. Chris, Chris Long. Long and LeGarrette Blunt both went from both there, on that Eagles team to the Eagles.
1: Yes. So I guess you see it in football more than you see it in hockey. But that's that for the Stanley Cup final. And we'll talk about the end of it next week and um, another, presumably, another third. There is Stanley Cup in Tampa Bay history uh, as we move towards the offseason. An offseason that has already kind of started. I mean, I, maybe this is part of why the Stanley Cup final is just boring because the coaching carousel is over. There's been so much to talk about in terms of offseason. Um, we talked about it at length with the Gerard Gallant situation, and Mike was at that press conference for us. We talked about that. We talked about Don Granato. talked about Dave Haxtall. Uh The coaching carousel finally ended when Arizona – hired Andre Terrigne. Uh He's a junior hockey guy and he's, you know, kind of what people clamor for in the NHL is like, let's get new blood. Let's see what a new guy can do instead of retreading John Tortorella for the 75th time. Uh, and that's what Arizona goes for. Um, I'll be the skeptic in me is partly saying, well, they probably didn't have much of a budget considering that they're one of those teams who didn't have a lot of fans and they were really bad this year. Um, and their budget's probably very low for to hire a new coach. Um, but the counter would be then don't fire your old one, but which is fair. Um, but <laughs> this is, this is where they land. And I think it's interesting. I think it could be, I think it could be a really, really good hire. It could also flame out and be terrible because we just don't know. And when you hire a guy like John Tortorella, I'll keep using him as the example, you kind of know what you're going to get. And for some teams, that's great. But for Arizona right now, they kind of need to hit lightning in a bottle or it's going to be time to pull this thing up with no first-round draft pick this year. Uh, so they're looking to catch lightning in a bottle, and if they're able to do that with Turingy, then, then more power to them.
0: Yeah, Arizona's in a really weird spot where, you know, almost what the Flyers were like in this past decade, where they're never good enough to contend, but they're never bad enough to actually get high quality picks. So they've kind of just been treading water these last couple years. And I, I, I like the hire, I mean, I don't really know much about Turingi admittedly, but I think exactly what you said. I would rather, if I'm choosing between, you know, the old hockey guy who's been around forever versus the new blood, I think I'd always go with the new blood because, you know, at least if it flames out, you're like, okay, we tried something new. It's so frustrating seeing a team hire a guy. Uh, yeah. I guess we'll use the Twitter example, and then it doesn't work out. And it's like, well, I mean, we know what this guy's about. We kind of could have predicted that this didn't work out. I, it's much more respectable, I guess, in my opinion, you know, trying something new. This is a team, this is a franchise they need. They don't really have a direction right now, it seems. So this is a guy who can come in here, try and give them a direction. They're going to need to develop guys because, you know, they, they're going to need to draft higher higher rated players if they want to enter enter contention at some point and i think the players that they have drafted recently haven't really lived up to expectations most mostly if any of them you could say chicken's been good but that's about it so i I like it a lot um it's gonna be very interesting to see first time nhl coach i always love when that happens and uh yeah we'll we'll see how how arizona is able to perform next year
1: he was his last full-time head coaching job was for the 67s in the OHL. The OHL didn't have a season this year, so he, his last season was 2019-20, where they were in first place when the season was cancelled, 50 wins, 11 losses and one overtime loss. they were in first place and the playoffs were canceled. Um, they lost in the in the Robertson Cup, which appears to be the finals of the OHL in 2019. Um, And he was the coach of the world junior team, the Canadian world junior team in 2021 and the assistant coach in 2020. So he has experience coaching high, high level players. And, you know, there's no reason that this isn't the time to, to make the move up. He does have a little bit of NHL experience. He was an assistant under Patrick Waugh in Colorado for two seasons, the 2013, 14 and 14, 15 seasons. And then he was the assistant, in ottawa for one year so three years of nhl experience but um that's about it not nothing as the head man and we'll see what kind of staff he puts together and man they have such a fast. i mean there's a million teams with a fascinating offseason this year and we're going to talk about our own teams the islanders the rangers and even the devils who have interesting offseasons coming up but arizona is just so interesting to me as i fail to stall long enough to get to the cap friendly page Here it is. They have $31 million in projected cap space after all their free agents clear. And I say all their free agents because there's a ton of them. They only have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie under contract as of right now. So many of their players, Derek Broussard, Connor Garland, um, Jason Demers, Alex golagoski um, Auntie Ronson, like all these players are up. They don't have a first-round pick or a third-round pick this year. Uh, because of those uh, those uh, draft tampering issues from last year so really interested to see what happens there in an, uh, a position that it's uh it seems a little tough for your first NHL job but all the power to them.
0: yeah I think Garland's a guy that they're definitely going to want to lock up everyone else I mean it's tough what do you do you don't necessarily want to resign all of them and run it back with a pretty similar squad next year because it clearly did not go well at all for them this year in a fairly weak division at least in terms of that last playoff spot i think the blues snuck in but we saw how they did not even come to the level of the avalanche so it's going to be yeah very interesting offseason for colorado but i think connor garland that's a guy you definitely want to lock up because if he is able to hit the market i think there will be so many teams clamoring for his services so if you're going to lock up one guy it should be him
1: it's interesting though because if somebody offers him an offer sheet they could recoup so many draft picks they could he's not going to get into the four draft pick range the four first rounder range but he can get into that first second third range where the team who signs him has to give up a first round pick a second round pick and a third round pick and that could be huge for arizona
0: especially yeah they don't have draft picks and they haven't for a while
1: man it's tough because offer sheets just don't happen so no, they don't you don't want to rest. You don't want to like bet your whole off season on, Oh, well, somebody will pay Connor Garland this amount of money at 25 years old. Like that would be stupid to be perfectly honest. Uh, but it, if it offer sheet comes across their table for Connor Garland. I think I would look twice at it. If I was Bill Armstrong, like, all right, well we can get a first, second, and third. That could really help start our rebuild. But how can you rebuild with Ekman Larson on your books through 27 and Clayton Keller on your books through 28. Like, how can you look at those two guys and be like, yep, like you guys are going to, we're just going to suck for the next, like, fine.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see even if Ekman Larson is, is there next year. I mean, I feel like yeah. the last couple of years, especially going into last year, it seemed like he was as good as gone and trades ended up falling through. I think he had a pretty specific list of teams that he wanted to go to. I don't know if that's changed, but yeah, it's going to be really, they're in a, tough spot because you know they're they're kind of treading water right now and yep. if you want to tear it down you got to make like theoretically if they were to if they want to do a full rebound and someone offered sheeted connor garland and you were getting two or three picks out of it i feel like it'll be smart thing to especially if you're getting a first rounder it'd be a smart thing to accept that because they just haven't had first round picks and the picks that they have had in the first round have not been successes
1: yeah yeah so we'll see how that goes for them and they're moving divisions too. So they're not playing against the three Cal- California teams next year. They're playing against uh, the central uh, Colorado and all them. So that'll, that'll be, be fun. <laughs> that'll be interesting as well. You know, that Pacific division, if assuming we go back to normal next year, that's going to be brutal. I mean, you never know with an expansion team. Obviously we know what Vegas has done and we assume Vegas will win that division next year between three California teams who are terrible the expansion team. Uh, Vancouver, who was top rough this year, that, that could be an absolute dumpster. Yeah.
0: Fire. I saw like a way too early model that projected the standings for all the divisions. And I want to say it was Edmonton who was the third team in the West, but they had, or the Pacific, but they had like, they were in the eighties points wise. Like it, yeah. there's going to be a team that misses the playoffs. That's like way better than the third team that makes it in the Pacific.
1: Exactly. And that's going to lead to another issue with this stupid playoff system. We have an opportunity to change it and we're not, they're not going to do it. Uh, but yeah, the Coyotes are out to the central and the Kraken will come in. So it'll be the three California teams, the Kraken, Vancouver, who stunk Calgary, who stunk and then Edmonton and, and Vegas. So Vegas should just like roll to a hundred the 25 <laughs> point record. Um, but that'll be very interesting. Uh and everybody else we kind of talked about uh, Columbus hires uh, one of their old assistants and Brad Larson and another team where it just feels like they didn't have the money to go out for Gerard Gallant. And they ended up with somebody who we don't really know anything about. Um, that's going to be a fascinating off season as well. We know what a soap opera that season was with John Torella, Patrick Laine, Pierre-Luc Dubois, all of that craziness. And now we're just going to, be bumped up even more with line a as an RFA going into an off season Tortorella leaving. How does that impact what happens this, this summer? Um, so it'll be such an interesting off season for Columbus. And unfortunately it got a little bit hairier because their goaltending situation is now up in the air after a, a terrible, terrible, uh, death and Matias Kivilakis, um, The goalie prospect was in Michigan for the 4th of July. He was fatally injured in a fireworks accident. The reports were, has changed. It used to be he slipped coming out of a hot tub and then it hit him in the chest. Um, And it, I mean, you know, people joke about Jason Pierre Paul all the time, but I think this is one of those situations where you realize how much more serious that could have been Um, that football player who, is missing a finger because of a fireworks accident. And, um, that is, it's been all over NHL Twitter, a guy who never played an NHL game. And I think that's when, you know, like this was a high character kind of guy when the Columbus players who knew him through preseason and camp and whatever, were all reaching out to one another to on Twitter and all that, um, to express their condolences to his family. And he was part of the Latvia team who performed pretty well at world championships last month. And, uh, a bright, bright future gone, gone far too soon.
0: Yeah. Such a tragic story. And it seems like stuff like this happens every year during the 4th of July, such an unnecessary, it's, it's so sad because it's a holiday, especially this year where we're, we're coming out of the pandemic and everybody was just so happy and fireworks are meant to be this, you know, celebration of joy, but it feels like, you know, every, every year there's, there's something that happens and something goes terribly wrong. So it is very unfortunate to see. And it was nice to see NHL players from, from all teams kind of coming together. And you're reminded that, you know, even though these guys play on different teams, it it is a brotherhood and they've known each other for a very long time. Some even like before they were in the NHL. I mean, we saw very sad post from Elvis Merzliken's wife, Mm -hmm. another fellow Columbus goaltender. So, obviously a really tragic story. And it, it was a shame because I believe he was, you know, supposed to contend for at least one of the, at least the backup job in Columbus this year. So definitely gone too soon. And, and we sent our condolences to his family
1: and his friends. Yeah, for sure. I want to make a slight correction. He had played in eight NHL games. He was not part of their full NHL roster. He was mostly in the AHL when he was out in Michigan, when this happened, um, but yeah, both of those goaltenders are just one of them, but then the other ones on a expiring contract that their goalie situation is up in the air and he was their number one prospect. And that was going to be somebody they leaned on and just a terrible, terrible accident that, yeah, as you said, it was unnecessary and, and did not need to happen. But uh, we do send our condolences to all of those in the Columbus organization and his family and friends and Latvia and everywhere else. Um moving on there's i wish we had ad reads because there's just no easy way to move on from that um but we're going to move on to offseason stuff and just kind of a what do you want to see happen bold prediction type situation there's a lot of moving pieces this offseason just so many moving pieces and we've talked about a few of them we've talked about alex ovechkin we've talked about jack eichel we haven't touched too much on seth jones um But Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he signed a contract. Joel Eriksson-Eck, he signed a very big, very long contract. We didn't mention that. Joel Eriksson-Eck, eight-year, 5.25 annual average. Got a great season last year, but that is an expansive contract. I was curious your thoughts on that one before we move on.
0: That is a pretty high price. I mean, he did emerge this year as one of the best two-way forwards in the NHL. I mean, I think his defense has always been – maybe his strong suit more than offense, but he really emerged into his own this year. So maybe, you know, a little bit too much, but I like it. I mean, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a guy who Minnesota has drafted and I never have a problem with, you know, drafting and developing these guys and locking them up long-term. So I think it's a good contract for Minnesota. And if he can continue on this progression, I mean, we could be talking about a future Selkie winner with him.
1: hundred percent. And this is like a life-changing type contract, right? He's Career earnings is 4.98 million before this year. He just signed a $42 million contract. So, this is the, that's the kind of stuff you, you know you, you dream of when you're a kid and all that great and all the power to him. But for Minnesota's side, it's interesting when the career caprice off situation is not getting any better. And uh, um, Kevin Fiala is still out there as well, who they need to resign. So, this is one of the contracts they wanted to get done though, and they, they sure as heck got it done. Um, so, more power to him. I mean, that's great, but I don't know that I would have signed that one uh, if I was Minnesota, but I'm not, so here I am. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins also signed his contract. We talked about that. Uh, so the biggest fish out there now is Dougie Hamilton. So I guess we'll start there. He's a free agent, unrestricted. He's you know currently on his third team in his short NHL career. Um, and I, I, at this point, with how late it's gotten, I don't know if I see him going back to Carolina. Uh, he, Not that he wore out his welcome. You know, this isn't a, a Bruins situation or a Calgary situation with him. I think that they want him. But to me, I see him going somewhere else because Carolina's contract or cap situation is not fantastic. It's okay. It's not fantastic. Nobody's just fantastic, by the way. And they are have the... Um, what's the word I'm for? They have the reputation of being a relatively cheap franchise. They don't usually push the cap. They don't usually assign their coaches to huge contracts. Um, and they just kind of did. So, to me, at this point, with how late it's starting to get here, I can see Dougie Hamilton going elsewhere. I was curious your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, it is tough to predict where he's gonna go. There's so many teams that that could use and would want his services. I mean, Edmonton, Chicago, I feel like Toronto is linked with any defenseman who it becomes even maybe available, but there's just so many places that he could go. I think any team, I think I I mentioned it when we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but any team that can afford Dougie Hamilton should be trying to sign this guy. We'll see how much money he gets. Um, If it's, you know, could be approaching... I don't think anyone would give him $10 million, especially with the flat cap. I mean, we could definitely see a eight, eight and a half, maybe even $9 million AAV for him. So it's going to be very interesting to see where he goes. And uh, I think a lot is going to depend upon where Seth Jones goes and vice versa. I think those two are very interlocked because one of them will eventually switch teams before the other one. And I think we're, we might see a team who was trying to get, let's say Dougie Hamilton and they, they miss out on Dougie Hamilton and they may panic and overpay for Seth Jones or vice versa.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because theoretically they should be different pools of teams with a few overlap because one's a free agent, one's a trade, right? You look at, you know, a team who has less picks, but more money, they're going to go for Hamilton. If the P- team with less money, more picks, they might go for Jones. And there is a little bit of crossover there. You know, I'm interested to see if Minnesota goes after one of those two guys because they might lose a defenseman in the expansion draft. Edmonton is one, as you mentioned. St. Louis still has to kind of replace Alex Petrangelo. Torrey Krug was just okay. They could be an interesting one as they look to to win another cup here uh, before their window slam shut. And, of course, the Rangers, too. I mean, yeah, they just had a defenseman win the Norris Trophy, and they have Jacob Truba, too. But if they're able to squeeze one of these two guys in, I think that's more valuable to them than Jack Eichel, Um personally. So I, I do see Dougie Hamilton leaving at this stage. Um, and one that I don't think he would ever go back to Boston. I think that that bridge has kind of been burned between those two places, but Boston desperately needs a guy like Dougie Hamilton or a guy like Seth Jones. I could see them going after either one. There are a lot of questions in Boston. They're getting older. The window is closing. Basically all you have right now is Pasternak and McAvoy in terms of like younger up and coming guys. If you could add another one in Seth Jones, that would be huge for Boston. Um, And, and you're developing uh, Vladar, the goalie, and um, maybe you can reassign Taylor Hall. Then all of a sudden you're starting to restart as you kind of say goodbye to Bergeron and Marchand. So I think that that would be a really, really good place for Boston to start a retool, as bergeron starts to retire with was one of these two guys so boston's my you know i don't love to say because they're boston but boston's my team to watch for this uh these two defensemen because we saw in the islander series and throughout the entire season when Carlo was hurt it was mcavoy all by himself with a little bit of help from Grizzlick, and it was a complete disaster
0: yeah um i think the big team to look at with these two guys. I'm going to go to the other side of the 2013 Stanley Cup final, and I'm going to go with Chicago. They've been linked extensively to both of these players. um, And especially with the recent news that Duncan Keith wants out, he's got two more years at five and a half million. He's been linked to Edmonton. So has Dougie Hamilton. So it seems like these teams are kind of, it's this triangle of teams with these defensemen. But I think if they are able to get rid of, Uh, Duncan Keith which apparently he requested to be out so I think that the Blackhawks would would do maybe the best defenseman in Blackhawks history definitely the most successful in terms of hardware I think they would would honor his wishes and so uh, it's tough to decide I'm going to go Seth Jones I think Seth Jones ends up in Chicago his cap hit and Duncan Keith's cap hit almost perfectly aligned so I think I'd have a little swap there. Chicago sends out Duncan Keith and they bring in Seth Jones. They're still, I mean, I don't think they're a playoff team next year and that they've got, you know, this aging core. So I'm not sure the move really, if I would do it, if I were Chicago, I'm not sure I'd go out and trade for someone like Seth Jones, but I think that's what will end up happening.
1: Yeah. It's interesting too, because then you might be able to add more teams into the Duncan Keith sweepstakes where he has a full no move. So he's going to end up going where he wants to go. But if they're going to trade for Seth Jones and then trade Duncan Keith, you might be able to use Columbus to eat some salary, to add some more teams to your, to your pool. Uh, I read that he Duncan Keith has a son and he is divorced and the son lives and the ex-wife live in the Pacific Northwest. That's why he wants to go there, whether that's Seattle whether that's uh, Vancouver, Edmonton, any of the teams we've mentioned, um, that's where he end- wants to end up. So it feels like he's going to end up there considering uh, his clause in his contract. Um, I think it'd be very, very interesting for him to be the first captain of the Kraken. I think that, that would be a really smart move for Haxtell and and Francis because now you're ending up you know, with a guy who was – one two Norris trophies and one three Stanley Cups, put the sea on his chest and just kind of like settle down. What might be a young defensive core that could be a really really interesting fit for them. He's where he wants to be geographically. Seattle has a guy who they can rely on for the next two years, and if he's and then he maybe he's a free agent after two years, maybe he retires then and great. Um, but I think that that could be a really really smart move for Seattle. The the cap hit might be a little bit much for them right now, but that's where, that's where my heart is telling me, even though I've not heard anything that says Seattle's definitely in on them. I think that that could be a really interesting fit.
0: I, yeah, I, this is the first time I've ever considered that possibility, but I a hundred percent agree with you. It also that's, I mean, that's a great name to add to your team when you're trying to build a fan base, Mm -hmm. hockey fans know who Duncan Keith is. Duncan Keith's going to sell jerseys for your team. He's going to sell tickets. So, that would be, that would be very interesting. It'll be, it would be fun to see, you know, Duncan Keith get one more run with a new team. If he has a little bit of a rejuvenation, I know he's struggled the last few years, but if he can, you know, come out and lead this team, lead this decor. And we were just talking about how weak that division is going to be. Obviously we have no idea what Seattle's team is going to look like, but if they could, you know, contend for a final playoff spot and you got Duncan Keith with a little bit of resurgence, that would be something that I think all hockey fans would love to see.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. So Jones and Hamilton and Keith all going to be on the move potentially this off season. Uh, very interesting defensively. We had a huge goaltender shift last year. The goalie market's a little quiet uh, from what I've heard and what I've seen. Not too much movement going on. I'm trying to think, but. I can't even think of anybody who's, like, rumored to be on the move. Boston could be an interesting place to add a goalie, but they have those two younger guys who stepped up pretty well when uh, when Rask and Halak were hurt. So I don't see them necessarily going after a goalie, and who knows about, you know, some other teams could make a desperate move at the end of the offseason or at the trade that line to add one, but you never know. Um, and the other one was Jack Eichel. Since we last talked about it, there really has not been any – any advancement uh the reason we talked about that day is because it really seemed like it was going to happen within about a week of that podcast it has not Um, to me the erickson Eck contract takes minnesota out of it that that's how i see it with that contract they're now just a shade under 16 million uh to go until they reach the cap as we mentioned they have the carol caprizov contract to work out the kevin fiala contract to work out um and they might and they might lose Matt Dumba, which is a $6 million cap hit, but still I don't, I think Minnesota is out of it now. Um, And that leaves basically LA and Anaheim to, to battle it out and go get Jack Eichel. And man, I really thought he was going to be gone by this point. I really, really did. And I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't, hasn't worked out because it feels like Kevin Adams is just going to, the first the first moment he gets a, a offer with a with either Trevor egress or Alex Turcotte in it, he's just going to take it. So why hasn't Anaheim or L.A. offered one of those guys up yet? Maybe they just they don't want to.
0: Yeah, maybe they just don't want to. I know that there's definitely been a lot of dialogue between the Eichel camp and the Sabres lately, and I believe it was either Kevin Adams or Jack Eichel. But they had you know a very long discussion and the either one of them was like, oh, like a resolution is near. So. We'll see what that means, whether that's a resolution and he stays with the Sabres or we've decided that it's best to part ways. Nobody knows besides those guys, but I mean, what's today? Today's July 6th. The expansion draft is the 21st, I believe, and then the NHL draft is a few days after that, so... I feel like we might not see a move now that it hasn't happened. Cause I agree with you. It seemed like a week ago that we were approaching, you know, this wasn't going to happen in weeks. This was going to happen in days. And it seems like we've kind of just stalled right at this last moment. So I think we probably won't see a move until the expansion draft maybe, but I could see in between the expansion draft or at the draft, a move being made where Jack Eichel, is is yeah. I mean, it's either LA or Anaheim. I think I feel like I agree. I think if Minnesota wanted to get it done, they still could. You mm-hmm. mentioned trading Dumba. I think Dumba has been named as a piece where if they were to trade for Jack Eichel, he would go the other way. But they do need to you know figure out Kaprizov and these Fiala contracts. You mentioned they're sixteen million. They have sixteen million left to spend. I mean, those guys, Eichel's ten million, and you're definitely not getting Fiala and Kaprizov for under i'd say i feel like combined they're making at least 10
1: i would agree i think six and four
0: yeah so that'll be tough they can definitely get it done if they want but that erickson that contract does does kind of put them maybe behind la and anaheim in terms of likelihood
1: yeah i, I would tend to agree so all those guys potentially on the move with all the coaches in place and Stanley Cup final coming to an end, and as you mentioned, the expansion draft will be July 21st. The first round of the entry draft will be July 23rd. The rest of the entry draft, July 24th. And then the restricted free agent period begins July 28th. Um, I don't see a day for the um, actual free agents, the UFA. Let me get that. Um, Oh, free. uh, Oh yeah. Unrestricted free agents also July 28th. So we got expansion draft, the 21st draft 23rd, 24th, and then free agents July 28th. Uh, So it's going to be a busy run at the end of this month and we'll be here to cover it all. So thanks for tuning in with us today as we wrap up the Stanley cup final, head on to an interesting, fascinating free agent and draft period for Tyler Mooney. I'm Chris Hennessy. We'll catch you next week.